Good morning. Yeah, we were praying before we started today as a team up here, and I thank God for the wind. We thank God for the Holy Spirit, and that um, at all times both are going to be blowing this morning. I believe um, we we have been, you know, frustrated with masks for so long. But this morning, I think a few people are kind of happy they have a mask on. I was joking with Chris. It's kind of like it's kind of like a face beanie today to keep your cheeks and your mouth warm. But I'm so glad that you, I, you're here in person. That's amazing. And gathering here also online. I'm glad that you are here with us wherever you are this morning. Let me pray. And then we're going to warm up here with some, with some music, some worship music. And then we'll jump into the word again. But let's begin offering God the glory. Lord Jesus, we're grateful that once again, you have blown us together, that you you always are the one who is sovereign. And just as you were hovering and moving over the, over the, the waters at creation, here, Lord, we feel your wind. Um, we feel the, the goodness of your creation in the, in the weather. We can tell that seasons are changing, and, and we give thanks uh, that there are, there are new seasons coming in our lives. We also, Lord, we stop and we pause and in everything that is changing. And at times as we, as a nation sit and it feels very tumultuous, we are grateful that you'd never change. That God, your goodness and your peace, that God, your mercy and the hope that you give us are not affected by anything that happens in this world, are not affected by anything that happens in the political realm. That rather you are Lord of Lords, you are King of Kings and you are our God. And so today, we come here to pause our doom scrolling. We come here to pause our um, our concerns. We pause everything and we turn back Thanksgiving for all that you have done, all that you are doing. Lord, I give you thanks today also for, for old and new friends. I'm grateful that there is a larger uppercase C church, but when we get to be together, it is special. It is a gift. And so I give you thanks today for people that have not been here but are here again i give you thanks today for people that are returning into worship for many different reasons here at river of the valley and right now lord open our mouths once more to praise you as your people to praise you as your church we offer this in your name jesus amen amen let's praise god i think i'm going to keep my mask on too cold. <laughs> Amen. I want to ask you to help me with your hands. Like this. Here we go. I was buried beneath my shame who could carry that kind of weight it was my turn till I met you I was breathing but now alive all my failures I tried to hide It was my turn 
Good. Yeah, put it under there, or else it's gonna blow away. All right, we're gonna right before we move into the time of the word this morning. Just a few things. Reminder that in two Sundays we're going to be our service is gonna revolve around a Thanksgiving, but particularly this year, stopping and pausing to remember. This is 65 years this church has been active right here in this place in the West Valley. So on the 22nd of, of November, usually when we have our Thanksgiving celebration, this year we're also going to pause and we're going to build that service around Thanksgiving to God for River of the Valley, previously Canoga Park Presbyterian Church, previously First Presbyterian Church of Canoga Park. We're going to stop and we're going to pause and give thanks for that. And we're also going to think about what God has next for us. We're going to 
in our spiritual imaginations also think forward and um, get excited be hopeful for what's next for the next if God wills it 65 years of this church's life here in Los Angeles also Christmas is coming I know it's amazing that we're already here but just around the corner is December and Advent in fact Advent will start that following Sunday and we don't know what the Lord has in store for us as a church in this season but if you would like to be part of a special Christmas offering and by that I mean a special Christmas service um, if this is something that you would like to be a part of, let's say you would like to be a part of a small choir or if you would like to be part of anyone reading scripture, uh, we're going to make this a opt-in sort of thing. So we're, we're sending out an invitation now that if you would like to be part of something like this, to let Felipe or to let me know, and we'll start making a list of people that would like to participate. Given the whole COVID situation, we don't want to... We don't want to just do something and then hope people join us. So we're going to see who jumps in, who wants to be a part of it, and then Felipe and I will use will use the creative tools that we have to make something amazing for us as a church. All right, Nabil already is in. Nabil's in. Hanya is in. So I like it. Ready? A Kirk, we got it. So we're already doing something. You got to start thinking now. They're stepping up. <laughs> so yeah, if, if any more of you want to be a part of it, just let us know. And we're going to make a beautiful... Christmas season here with River of the Valley. We're going to jump into the next Sunday's, uh, today's step in our series of hope interrupting despair. And we're going to do so today in John 20. So you can start going there if you want to join me as I pray for this time. Lord, uh, we ask once again that your Holy Spirit would, would open our hearts and our minds to what your word has for us today. I ask that you would take any preparations that I have made, that any thoughts that have come to me, and that you would bless them as you would, you would change them as you would, and that as I speak, it would be your word that's coming from, from your scriptures now into this community. Lord, I give you great thanks that your Holy Spirit gives us understanding, clarifies what you are saying to us, and even breeds faith within us. So, Lord, take the seeds that are within us now, and by the reading of your word, may they continue to germinate, flourish, and produce fruit. We ask this in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I think I might keep my one hand in my pocket today. <laughs> it's just chilly, isn't it? You know, sometimes I, I tell Christy, oh, wouldn't it be fun for a season to be back on the East Coast, you know, with all the all the seasons? And she always looks at me and says, you're crazy. <laughs> and I think it's days like this where she's reminding me, especially with, with children. You know, when we used to live there back in seminary, we didn't have kids. So we could just bundle up, go outside in the snow, get, get coffee, come back. But with kids, you know, bundling them up and then you get in a car and you have to. Uh. So I think she's wise to, to walk me off of that bridge sometimes when I want to jump over it. We're going to look at John 20 today. We have been looking at different different times the resurrected Jesus appears to people and we're we're looking at that honestly and seeing what was happening in the hearts and minds of those people and then finding ourselves and today we're going to be looking at Thomas who I've talked on him before we we classically call Thomas by what name what's his nickname doubting Thomas I think that's a 
That's a sad thing to do to poor Thomas. We're going to talk about that, but think about all the people that have doubted, and why does Thomas get such a bad rap? I, I think if he was living today, he could sue somebody for defamation. I'm not sure if it would be John or whoever it was. I didn't look this up. You can do it. Whoever started this whole idea of calling him Doubting Thomas. But it's really, it's like an assassination of character. Because so many people doubt, and I think in much, much worse ways, even in the Gospels, right? Think of Peter disowning him three times. We don't call him Doubting Peter. We made him the Pope instead. I mean, so there's this, there is some irony here. But let's read this. So this is John 20, starting in verse 24. And just to set this up, remember, Jesus had come and he had appeared to the other disciples on the same day that he resurrected. And these disciples told Thomas, and Thomas said, I'm not going to, I can't believe this. And this is where we're going to jump in now. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Friends, this is God's word for us today. Thanks be to him. So this is where we start. Jesus is not repelled by lack of faith. In fact, he's attracted to it. Jesus is not repelled by lack of faith. Jesus is not repelled by doubt. In fact, he is attracted to it. In the very beginning, God created all things including humanity with the capacity for the lack of faith. Fast forward, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. We'll celebrate that soon <laughs> as a church. And Jesus ultimately chose to come and live among us. Why? Because of our lack of faith. Jesus leaves his throne. God leaves his throne to come to earth because of lack of faith, because of doubt. Jesus is not repelled by that lack of faith. So the disciples, you remember the first Sunday in this series, the women come running back after they had been to the tomb and they say, the body's not there. We don't know what happened. Angels came. They told us that he was resurrected. And what did the disciples say? Yeah, right. Who's going to believe that? Those same disciples now are gathered in a room and it says that they locked the doors. Why? Because they're scared that the, that the other Jewish rulers are going to find them and arrest them and also kill them. So they're in this room and it's locked. And it's just a room of doubt. It's a room of lack of faith. And what does Jesus do? He goes right through the locked doors. 
He goes right through all the barriers that they were setting up to keep people out. And it says that he stood in the middle of them. The Greek is very clear. It's very strong. He stood in the middle of them. So you can imagine them like sitting together and talking. He doesn't just appear right where the door is. All of a sudden, Jesus himself is in the middle of that doubt, is in the middle of their lack of faith. Your lack of faith and your doubt does not repel Jesus. In fact, we're going to look at this, but if you are honest with it, it actually attracts Jesus. Now, what is doubt? What is lack of faith? We could talk about this in that large scale doubt, like did Jesus even exist? Lack of faith, did Jesus actually come back to life? That's a large, mega doubt, mega lack of faith. But then there are the micro expressions of our lack of faith, the micro expressions of our doubt that we live with. Things like, can I really trust that God is gonna keep working through me? or through my church? Can I really trust that God has my interests in mind and even though this economy has been so difficult, I'm still gonna have a, a way to make ends meet? So there, there's this larger macroscopic, this larger mega doubt of does God even exist? But then there's the micro expressions that we live day in and day out where we can doubt or have a lack of faith in God's sovereignty and the goodness of that sovereignty and what God is doing for us. How active is God really in my life? And I want to put all of those in the pot today. All of those are all those are fair game as we're thinking about our doubt and our lack of faith. Now, whatever it is that you are bringing into this passage today, when I say lack of faith and doubt, whatever it is that you're bringing into this today, okay? That is what God will be attracted to if you're honest. If you're honest about where you're at. Now, Jesus comes. He doesn't stand in the middle of them, and he doesn't simply just, just appear. He also says something. What does Jesus say? Shalom alachem. He says to them, he comes and he says, peace be with you. But he uses that word, shalom. What does shalom mean? Anybody? Peace, yeah, but healthy, yes. Part of it, yeah. There's You can think of it in three main ways, and healthy would be a great way to say it. What's, what's something else about peace? No worries, okay. Okay. So shalom has this idea of, imagine a circle. Imagine a circle that is is complete, okay? Shalom is that completed circle. It's the the entire the entire cosmos, the entire world, your entire life being being complete. There's nothing out of order. Everything is connected. Shalom has this idea that there is peace when everything is at peace. And not some, you know, hippie you know, sit around kumbaya peace, but peace that God created in the beginning where all things were following his will and his command. Peace in the sense that the whole world is flooded with the obedience to all that Jesus taught. Peace that we're going to have when Jesus comes again. 
Jesus comes and stands in the middle of the lack of faith, in the middle of the doubt in our life, and he says, Shalom be with you. Shalom be with you. It's almost as if Jesus comes bearing a message of good news. <laughs> that in the that in, in the brokenness that we are feeling or in the doubts that we might have that things are going to turn for good, that whatever that might be, that God comes, Jesus comes, and in the midst of it, in the middle of it right now, he is stepping in there and he is telling you there's going to be complete wholeness and peace in your life. And, and this, is, this is something that Jesus is declaring, right? He says, peace be with you. He's not saying, you know, someday far away, I'm going to offer you peace. He stands right there with those disciples and he says, peace be with you. Kind of like in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. He goes through all these ways that people are blessed that have lacking because he can now stand as the resurrected Lord and say, nothing can keep me from offering you peace, not even death. Jesus came and his sole purpose was administering the shalom. And I want to read for you just before what we read about that week before as he was with his disciples. This is starting in verse 19. He says this, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, again, Peace be with you. Shalom be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, what's the end of that sentence? I am sending you. Hmm. So not just does Jesus come with peace. Not just is the purpose of Jesus to administer peace, to minister shalom, but what does he now do to you <laughs> or us? He makes you now also the administrators of that shalom. He makes us as the church now also. This is a plural. This is all plural here. He says, I'm sending you the church to now be those who bear that message of shalom to this world. It is done. The shalom has been created. Jesus is preaching that I, he comes and stands in the middle of it, but then he also says the church now must go. As I have now stood in the middle of, of the lack of faith in your lives. Now you, the church, are to go and stand in the middle, to stand in the midst of the doubt and the lack of faith in this world. Sometimes we think that we can't be part of a church or go to church service, especially if you're watching online, you're not here, you might be thinking, I'm just going to sneak in online, I'm not actually going to be a part of a church, which is great, sneak in, I'm happy you're doing it. <laughs> think about this for a moment. Sometimes we think that it's our lack of faith that keeps us from belonging to a church. Interesting, though, that it's actually the lack of faith of those first disciples that brought Jesus into that locked room. Thomas is not there. We don't know why Thomas is not there. It doesn't tell us, and I think that's helpful. It lets us imagine the ways in which maybe we're not there. And the ways that maybe even we're physically here, but mentally you're checking out. Or emotionally, you have not latched on to faith in Christ. Even though 
even though physically you will be in a church service or every once in a while check in online or whatever. Thomas was not there when Jesus first came. And they come and they tell him, maybe there's been people in your life that have talked about God in terms that you don't understand. Ah, this relationship with Jesus. Oh, the things that God has done for me. Oh, the miracles in my life. The way that Jesus has changed my life. Maybe like Thomas, you've heard people say these things and your response is, yeah, that's all well and good, but unless I can touch that, unless I can put my fingers in the holes of those miracles, unless I can put my hand into the side of the way that Jesus would change my life, I cannot believe. Okay. Thomas, with those thoughts, which I think many people, if we're honest, have, Thomas, with those thoughts, is with that community that next Sunday. And when the doors are locked, who comes back? Who stands in the middle of that room once again? And who once again says, Shalom Alechem, once again, peace be with you. And then who does Jesus turn to immediately in that room? He turns to Thomas. He turns to the one that we have called Doubting Thomas. And he looks at this one that's called Doubting Thomas with all of the lack of faith, with all the ways he said, God, prove yourself to me. He shows up and Jesus says, what more do you want? Go ahead, stick your finger right in. Go ahead, stick your hand right in my side. And then he says this, stop doubting and believe. Thomas then turns to Jesus and he gives the most powerful testament, the most powerful confession that you can find in Holy Scriptures about Jesus. This is it. He turns and doubting Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Do you see the irony that the one that we have that we have name called <laughs> doubting Thomas ends up being the one that Jesus shows up for to the point that he makes the most powerful confession about who Jesus is as Lord and as God that we have. Explicit. Jesus, you are God and you are my Lord. I think Thomas gets to this point because he is honest in naming where he is at in his lack of faith and doubt. And then Jesus humbles himself again. From the beginning, the story of Jesus is, is humility of God coming down and making himself with you. And once again, and this is the final straw for Thomas, after he has told in no uncertain terms what it will take, that Jesus coming down and dying on a cross was not enough for Thomas, basically. Now he says, unless he stands before me and I can put my fingers in him, unless I can poke my holes of God, unless I can physically do that, I'm not going to believe. Jesus says, okay, there is, there is nothing that will, that will keep me from doing what it takes. He shows up for Thomas. And Thomas is leveled. I can see that his, his entire sense of self is overcome because of the humility that the one who created all things, the creator of, of the heavens and the earth, would come just for Thomas and say, go ahead, 
do what you need to do. I'm here for you. And Thomas and his response and being brought to his knees of faith turns to Jesus saying, my Lord and my God. Look, for each of you, for each of you, as we are in the daily grind of the lack of faith or doubt, know this, that if you are willing to be honest with that lack of faith, if you are willing to be honest with those doubts, Jesus is going to show up. Jesus is going to show up. If you really want to experience God in your life, then you need to stop being physically present, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually absent. Because the moment you take seriously the questions that you have and push back even on God, push back, this is what I need. This is what I'm feeling right now. That's when Jesus will start taking it seriously. He's going to show up even when you lock the doors. And finally, as Jesus turns around the church and now says, as a father has sent me, I'm sending you, know that we exist as a church to be a living question mark in the world around us. A question mark that comes to stand in the middle, in the midst of everyone's life, and to say, first off, shalom. Right? The church's first word has to be the first word that Jesus speaks. So instead of pointing down and saying, where are you? The first word that we point down on people is actually open-handed shalom. We're good because God is good and Christ has done it all. Jesus comes and so the church comes and for everybody, the word that we start with is shalom because Jesus has made that a reality. And then the, the church then is that living question mark. We are in fact the body of Christ standing in the midst of the world with our hands open, with our side exposed, saying, look at our wounds. Particularly as river of the valley, we need to exist as a community right now in which people can come in and they can see that the body of Christ does represent shalom. I want you to pause for a moment. Stop looking at me. You can still listen if you want, but look around at the people here. And what do you notice? a lot of diversity now the point of our church is not to be diverse okay that's not something that that's not something that we would put at the top of our of our list of why we exist we're not an organization of diversity that's not why we exist we exist because jesus came and offered shalom and therefore we do the same we offer shalom and what does that look like well eventually it's going to look like everybody in the world being being enveloped in that Okay, so we don't exist to be a diverse organization. We exist to be a shalom church. We exist to be a church of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It just so happens that that makes us look like this. Now, when people come in, they say, ah, but I, I need to be able to push on God. I need to be able to see that the Christian gospel is a message that has an effect in this world. When people come into this church, they can put their fingers into the holes of the sacrifice that we have made to be how we are right now. People can come and they can put their, their hands in our side and understand that as a church, it has cost us, it has sacrificed us to be how we are right now and to continue trying to live that vision of Christ. The sacrifice that we're making, that you're making, 
is good. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would continue to give us the opportunity to connect with people that that are pushing in on you. And also, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would give us the grace individually to be honest with our own lack of faith and doubts. And like Thomas, in our honesty, open ourselves up to encountering you. Lord, no more let us be content with being physically present, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually absent. Allow us once more, Lord Jesus, to encounter you as as the living one with holes in your hands, with a gaping hole in your side. And if it's me, Lord, that needs to put my fingers in those holes, then I say now, Lord Jesus, help me with my unbelief. Let me see your church now as your living presence and the sacrifice of your church as as a way your gospel is alive. Lord, we ask all this, giving you thanks, praying for our faith, praying for the life of the church of faith. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.